Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Tonight we start with a new sermon series, Agile Nation. And uh, we're focusing on our mandate, our REACH mandate, um, through pray, give, and go, how we execute and fulfill the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority and heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Priests, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the ages. When Jesus asked us to go to the ends of the earth, what did he ask us? What is he asking us to do? So I want to take a bit, and I'm going to ask you to speak to be a bit patient with me, but I'm going to take you through a bit of stats tonight. When Jesus asked us to go to the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe everything that He has commanded us, the world that He has sent us to looks currently like this. 30% Christians. And from that 30% Christians is Christians that is by association, some are by association. 30% of the world is made up of Christians. From, that 30%, from the, the, the world, 24% is Islam. It's 15% Hindu. There is 14% that has no religion. 7% is Buddhism. And then there's 8.5% Chinese traditional religion. And then there's 1.5% that is others. So this is the world that Jesus asks us, when He asks us to go and make disciples, that He asks us to go to. There are about 16,562 people groups. 9,715 have a gospel witness. It means there's someone within that people group that has the ability to share the gospel while 6,847 people groups are undiscipled or unevangelized, or, less, and, or less, have less than 2% Christians within that people group. 90% of foreign missionaries work among already rich groups. Only 10% work amongst unevangelized or undiscipled groups. 91% of all Christian outreaches or evangelism targets is only to Christian countries or uh, religious groups. 630,000 students from 220 countries, 25 of, 25% of which prohibit Christian missionaries enrolled in the USA each year. 90% will return to their country Unreach. God even sent people to us in our own nation and we don't reach them. 
90% will return to their own countries unreached. Out of the 140,000 Protestant mission, missionaries, 76% work amongst normal Christians. 8% among tribal people, 6% amongst the Muslims, 4% non-religious, 3% among the Buddhists, and 2% amongst the, the Hindus, and 1% amongst the Jews. 818 unevangelized ethnicities has never been targeted for the gospel. Did you know that 70% of all evangelists, um, of all Christians who attend a, uh, a Bible-believing church has never heard about the unreached groups? So how do we spend our finances? Our finances given to foreign missions is 87% goes to the work amongst Christians. 12% of all of our finances from the church work amongst already evangelized and mere 1% of all money given to foreign missions is used to work amongst unreached or undiscipled people groups. Only 0.1% of all Christian giving is used for missions efforts in the 38 least unreached people groups. Christians spend 95.4% of offering on home-based ministry. 4.5% on cross-cultural efforts amongst already rich groups. And 0.1% to evangelize or disciple the unreached. Christians spend more on an annual audit of churches and agencies that, is, um, uh, that accumulate to 810 million than on all the work of non-Christian in the non-Christian world. I'm almost done. The average Christian gives one penny a day to global missions. 85% of all finances given to Western missionaries is used for work amongst established churches rather than pioneering evangelism. The average Western missionary spends 3% of his or her time in direct evangelism. When Jesus asked us in Matthew 28, 19, His last words as He has spent time with us on this earth, and He says He's going to prepare a, a place for us, the last words that He leaves with His disciples is, Go and make disciples. Go to all the nations Preach the gospel and make disciples. I had the privilege earlier in business, when I was still in business, I had the privilege to travel to Cologne. And in the heart of Cologne is this beautiful cathedral that was built, and it started to be built in the Roman, the Roman time. 1,000 years after Christ, the, the construction started. And as they started to build, people started to lose interest. There was a lack of funding. And the building work stands for 632 years before the cathedral is finally finished. It seats 20,000 people. This beautiful piece of work 
took years and years to manufacture, to build. But there was such a long delay of over 400 years in the building of it. Are we talking about church buildings? <laughs> Are we talking about raising funds to build buildings? When Jesus asked us to go to the nations, He has asked us to go and establish worship in people's hearts. He asked us to, to, to start building places of worship in people's hearts. Because He no longer dwells within buildings, but He dwells within His people. Why is it? Why is it? That a third of the world have never had the ability or the privilege to hear the gospel once. Tonight, our reading, our scripture reading is coming from Haggai 1, verse 1 to 15. In the day, sorry, in the year, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day, of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, by the hand of Haggai, to the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Zethil, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it the time for you yourself to dwell in panel houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvest little. You eat, but you never had enough, have enough. You drink, but you never have you full. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so, put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hill and bring wood and build the house, that I, I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you are busy himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills. On the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labor. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Zetil, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all of the remnant of the people, obeyed the, word, the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their God has sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the, the Lord's message. 
I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Zetil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month of the second year of Darius the king. Sit down, young man. If God wants to convert the heathen, he will do so on his own accord. This is William Carey, a young missionary who has a passion to see the gospel extend to the ends of the earth, who has the opportunity to speak at a Baptist, um, a ba ba Baptist conference. And as he stands up and he speaks passionately about the command, the commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and especially to India, this elderly, past, this elderly bishop stands up and says to him, sit down, young man. If God want to convert the heathen, he will do so on his own accord. Now when Jesus asked us to go to the ends of the earth, and when he asked Israel to build the temple that represented his presence within Israel, this is the kind of attitude that we saw. Is that the Lord's work can wait. We saw here that the people said it is not time for the Lord's house to be built. We will always have something that will compete with our time. We will always have something that is far more important to us that will compete with the time that we have. All of us has been given time. The question is how are we going to steward it? That what God has given us and that what He has asked us, what is our time going to reflect of that? You see, our greatest priority or the things that we value the most is the things that we spend the most time on. This people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. If we look at the stats of world evangelism, we should ask ourselves, what is the church saying? What is these people saying? These people that came from exile it was the remnant of Israel, the most committed they were the most committed Israelites that came back to rebuild the temple. As they came back to Jerusalem and start building the temple, they start very enthusiastic with this temple. And we saw that in Ezra, Ezra 3 verse 10, there was great joy as they laid the foundation to the temple and they built the altar. But then the word became hard. When Jesus asked us to go to the nations and to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of all nations, it is not an easy task, friend. We will have opposition. Just as the Israelites face opposition, but what the excuses that they came up, because they had opposition, because it was hard, they say it's not time. You see... 
is that while only one third of the world are Christian, is this because we feel no urgency, there is no urgency in us to see the world being reached with the gospel? Are we feeling like Israel did when it became hard that we, that, that we, and, 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 and that there's no funds that we start stopping the building work? Is this what we're doing when we need to reach to the ends of the earth when it gets hard and it's hard to raise finances that the work stands for 632 years before it's completed? Is this what we're contending with? Is this what God has to contend with when He asks us to go to the ends of the earth? Is this what He has to deal with when He gave us this great commission? Despite the glorious beginning, after two years, the work stopped, merit and discouragement and derailed by the lack of focus. For 18 years, Israel is back. In Jerusalem. Fourteen years after they started with the building of the temple, it was still not built. I'm sure there were some great excuses. I'm sure after 70 years, the land was laid barren. I'm sure there was great priorities that they had. I'm sure that there was a lot of houses to rebuild. And the excuses piled up and piled up. The sad thing is that we sometimes even use excuses and make them sound very spiritual, just like Israel did, and says the time that the Lord's house should be built, it's not time, or the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Just as these old Baptist preacher have said, if God want to convert the heathen, he will do so in his own accord. It sounds very spiritual, right? And so we make our excuses very spiritual. Is that why there is still a third of the world that never had the opportunity to hear the gospel once? Friends, when God, when Jesus asks us to go to the ends of the earth, He was contending for our hearts. He was contending for the heart of the nations. Because He wants to establish worship in every heart, in every culture, in every man, in every ethnicity. Because there will come a day when we will stand in front of the white throne and we will look to our left and to our right and to our back and to front and there will be of every type in every tongue. Friends, we should prioritize what God has asked us. Our time reflects our priorities. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourself to dwell in your panel houses and the temple to lay 
in ruins. When God spoke to him, he saw the excuses. He saw the many excuses that they had and their poor priorities. It is time for yourself to dwell in panel houses. The people said that it wasn't time to rebuild the temple. In their action, they said that it was time to live in nicely rebuilt houses. The question is, when an unevangelized world look at us and they saw how we live and they never had the opportunity to hear the gospel once, what will we say? What will we say? The problem was not that God had a problem with them staying in houses. The problem was not that they lived in panel houses, but that they lived in such personal comfort and luxury while the temple was in ruins. Their priorities was wrongly ordered. Friends, where's our priority? When Jesus asked us to go to the ends of the earth, and to make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to teach them to observe everything that He has commanded us. What is our priority? What is our priority? Who is asking us this? What weight has He got in our lives? As I said, I'm sure many of them went to the temple. I don't think it was something that was outside of their minds for the 14 years. I think as they went to the, to the temple to offer on the altar, they probably think to themselves, man, someone needs to build this temple. I don't think they forgot it, but their priorities were set upon their own work. God wants me to give attention to these uh, to things at home. Home comes first. Have you heard that excuse? Home comes first. I would fund more construction at the temple, but all my money is tied up with my home reservations. Renovations. I'm not living extravagantly. Look at the other houses in my neighborhood. Look at the, char char uh, the chariots in their driveway. Some of these excuses... Sounds so familiar. How did Jesus respond to the priority of humankind? How did he prioritize the kingdom? For I have not come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and will raise Him up at the last day. John 6, verse 38 to 40. How should they hear if no one goes? 
How should the third of the world who never heard the gospel hurt if we're not going, if we're not going to prioritize it and put finances and people resources behind it? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. John 5, verse 8, 13, verse 8. You see, friends, when we're going to prioritize, if we're going to use our time and act and live in a way to show that we prioritize God's kingdom, there's an equation that does not make sense to us. There's an equation that does not make sense to us. Like Israel was trying to, to regain as much as they can, to reserve as much as they can, to build their panel houses, and to hold on as much as they can. But the economy of the kingdom is prioritize the kingdom and you will flourish. You will have prosperity. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, this word is coming up a couple of times. Consider your ways. The Hebrew word here literally means to take your heart and put it on the road. And God says, this, the, the, determine where you put your heart. Consider on which road did you put your heart. Where's your priority? Where's your heart at? And God is continuing for our hearts. You have sown much and bring in little. You ate, but do not have enough. enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it in bags with holes. See, the equation is when we want to hold on as much as, it is, as we want to, if, we, if, we, if it's about self-perseverance, self it's like we put money into a bag with holes. But when we prioritize God, when we put Him first, when He is our priority, He prospers us. See, not just is it God's prospering us, but when we put God first, there's something in that equation when we take that action that brings a satisfaction to our souls. And it fills a void that we have inside. Because if our priorities are wrong, nothing will satisfy us. You will pile up panel house on panel house on panel house. You will never have enough. You will never be satisfied. But when we prioritize God and set Him first, Surely, Matthew 6, verse 33 is our portion. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When Jesus set the kingdom first, He has given everything. When Jesus seeked, it means that He seeks so much the kingdom of God that He was willing to lay down His life. The kingdom was everything to Him. And he served, and he laid down his life. 
Jesus want to establish worship in every heart, in every nation, in every ethnicity, in every people group. We sang a song tonight. Say the word, and I'm walking on water. Jesus spoke a word 2,000 years ago. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Are you willing to go? You said you will walk on water. That's what you sing tonight. You said, speak, and I will walk on water. Jesus is speaking. He's giving us the great commission. Why are we not walking on water? Because that's walking on water to get to the ends of the earth. It's going to take faith. It's going to take courage. It's going to take boldness. It's going to lay down my comfort zones. When Jesus asked me to go and I said, Jesus, speak the word and I will walk on water. Then we say, Jesus, I am willing to lay down my comfort. I'm willing to lay down my life. Because your priority is my priority. You see, friends, it's easy to sing those words. But if we live this, just imagine how worship will be established within the nations. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. See, the Great Commission is only a great commission when we act on it. If I tell my boys, go clean your room, <laughs> and I come and I see Matthew and David sitting on a bed and say, hey boys, what are you doing? No doubt we're discussing of how we're going to clean our room. <laughs> but don't worry, Dad. Our friends are coming. We're going to meet and we're going to talk about how to clean our rooms. <laughs> that we will study. We will do an in-depth study of how to clean my room. None of that has cleaned the room. None of them has obeyed what I asked them to do. The temple was only built when people went up to the same mountain to fetch from the same forest the wood that they built their panel houses with to build the temple. They were very happy to make themselves uncomfortable of going up to that hill, fetching wood and spent their energy on building their own panel houses. And God says, those same hills where you fetch that wood, go up and bring wood and build a temple. You see, this is what God, when a great commission is only a commission when it really appeals to me, when it drives me to do what God asked me to do. You see, I cannot be a disciple if I don't make disciples. Because the very, the very thing of following Jesus means that I make disciples. When he calls his disciples in, in, in Mark 1 verse 17, he says, come, follow me, Jesus says, and I'll make you fishers of men. 
When Jesus calls you, what is his intention with you? Is to make something of you. A fisher of men. Can I make myself a fisher? No. He says, follow me. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. To follow Jesus means that we are fishers of men. And we will get to the ends of the earth. When we're following Jesus, it means that the nations has priority. It means that the ends of the earth has priority to us. Because the kingdom needs to advance to the ends of the earth. Disciples need to be made in the nations. And therefore, the commission is binding. And it has a binding on effect of those who said, Yes, Jesus, here am I. I follow you. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. You see, when we respond to this great commission, it's something that happened inside of us that is unexplainable. When we start to make disciples and when we step out of our comfort zones and, and go to the nations, there's something that happens, a void that starts to fall inside of us. And we know that we now have reached or we become who God called us to be. When we apply us to this great commission, God has actually made us fishers. And that is our identity. That is our heritage. That is what He called us to be. That is my nationality. I was in the mood to put on my 10-day shirt and tell you, this is my nationality. This is who I am. This is my heritage. To do the will of my Father to do the will of Jesus, that is who I am. That is my culture. You know, culture is that thing that you don't think twice to do things about. So, when you invite friends over, you don't think, all right, what are we putting on the braai? You have meat on the braai. That's culture. You, it doesn't take much effort for you to think about how to live out your culture. People from outside your culture is more observant to your culture than yourself. You're oblivious to your own culture. You know what God is, when He calls us to go to the nations, He wants to establish a culture in us that His kingdom comes first. His kingdom is everything to us. What struck me the most when I read this is when he says, For I called for a drought on the land. You know, when God says, Let there be no rain, there's no rain. You know, when God says, Let it rain, it rain. When God says, Let there be light, there's light. The nature, elements in nature respond to his voice. But when he asks us, to go to the ends of the earth, we find excuses. It's hard. When you ask Israel to rebuild the temple, they struggle to respond to it. 
but nature is quick to respond. But wait, there's great news. There's good news. Israel responded. When God showed them their ways, when He asked them to consider their ways, they responded. As a father, I have many times conversation with my children. Tough conversations because I see things in their lives that need some serious discipleship. That need some serious talk. And then I'll have that conversation with them and I see this expression on their faces and I know they're not happy with that right now. And then I will go and process a little bit with my wife and I will walk with her around the block and speak. And I say, yeah, did I say this wrong? Or... And as I speak to her, I would say to her, you know, that conversation sounds very familiar. That sounds like the type of conversation my dad had with me. <laughs> you see, God spoke to Israel because he was contending for relationship. He didn't leave them. It was important for them to respond. He called upon them to respond because he loved them. And he wanted them to respond. I need to touch on this. When I was a young Christian... I grew up in a very traditional church. And man, as a young boy, when I do something wrong, I was so scared that God is going to strike me with lightning. The fear of the Lord was upon me. That was preached. I mean, they start and they read the law. Man, and it's like, yo. This is, this is hectic. And God has been preached as a judge. And He's going he's gonna to come down on you. He's going to come down hard on you. Man, I walk with a fear inside of me. But as I mature in the Lord and as I walk with the Lord, this fear grew into something beautiful. It grew into something so beautiful that I said, Jesus... Oh my goodness, I can't do sin because I can't be without you. I don't want to do anything to, deserve, to disrupt this relationship. <laughs> Jesus, I want to be quick and easy to respond to you because, oh Lord, I need you. I am feared that I might miss you if I am not going to respond. When you ask me to move and I don't move, I might miss you. And I don't want to miss anything that you have for me. Because the love that I started to learn to know from you, the fear that I started to have for you, O oh Lord, is precious to me. It is beautiful to me. It sounds something like David when he sinned and he says, Oh Lord, do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. He had a fear that his sin will cause him not to live in the presence of God. You see, when we respond with the heart of God, we need you. God, we don't want to miss you. 
when we respond in such a way, there's a treasure in it. There's a beautiful treasure in that. And that is that God promised, as He has promised when He called every man and every woman in the Bible, and as He has given us the Great Commission, He has this promise that I will never leave you and never forsake you. He promised His presence to go with you. Oh my goodness, you want to taste the presence of Jesus? Go. 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 Don't hold back. Go. I can tell you, we find many ways to go. And if, if, if my week is getting a little bit too tough for me and a little bit too, too administrative, you can ask my wife how cranky I become. And she will say to me, Go. Go! Because you need to experience Jesus' presence. It's a presence that I cannot explain to you. You have to experience for yourself. You see, the other beautiful thing of that treasure is that as we take that step, as we move, there is something that happens that only God can do. And we saw that when the disciples, first the 12 were sent out in Luke 9 and then the 72, and when they returned, they returned with joy, and they could not wait to tell Jesus what happened. They said, Jesus, as we preach the gospel, as we share the gospel, demons fled. The sick got healed. And they're very excited about it. And Jesus says, don't be glad that, you're, that the demons fled. Be glad that your names is written in the book of life. You see, just as that moment we see that happening here with Israel, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the, the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. The Lord stirred up his spirit. If you're going to go, if you're going to make disciples, if that takes you to the ends of the earth, God is going to stir up something in you that you cannot, that you will not be able to quench. If I go on a 10-day mission, oh my word, I can't wait for the next one. When I move and I go and visit other, other, uh, other churches in every nation, uh, every nation's churches in other nations, and I start sharing the gospel and I start teaching Man, there's something that happens inside of me that is like a fire that is burning in my bones that I cannot quench. You see, this is what's happening when we go. Then we ask ourselves, why is the church struggling with depression? Why are we struggling with mental illness? Because we don't move. God cannot stir a fire within us. You see... The thing is, God is doing a great work when we obey. When we step into that space and say, Jesus, I will obey. I enjoy my life. <laughs> I enjoy it to share the gospel. I love it to make disciples. Because God stirs something inside of me. And I... There's a, there's a deep hunger and thirst that only He can fit when I do that. They came and worked on the house of the Lord 
The stirring of the Spirit didn't come and go just as, the spirit, they, as a spiritual experience. The stirring of the Spirit flourished into the stirring for the work. You know what? This is the thing. Some of our excuses is, Lord, I don't know enough. Lord, I need to equip myself far better before I can go. But what we see here, that God even stirred up in them to be able to do the work. Just take the step. Just go. Just respond to this beautiful commission. Because God is contending for your heart. The most beautiful thing for me as a father is when I do something at home and one of my boys will join me and says, Dad, can I help you? And the thing that goes through my mind is, man, this job is going to take me long. I can do it twice as fast. Now I have to teach this guy. But man, the moment we start working together, and I say, no, 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 no. Take the screwdriver like this. No, 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 use the hammer like this. Oh, there's something happening in that relationship that I cannot explain to you. When Jesus calls us to go, he want to show us how to use the hammer. He want to show us how to use the screwdriver because this is for him about relationship. And so that he can bring a world into relationship with him. So that they will not perish, but have eternal life. You ask, what is the will of the Father? This is his will. That no one should perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we, as our sermon title is Agile Nation, Lord, will we not be delayed? Shall we not delay on this great commission, Father? But will we be agile, quick and easy to respond to you? Fathers, we're going to look over the next two weeks of how to reach the ends of the earth and how to do it together, Father. As you called Israel to build the temple, not just the leaders, but the whole nation. Lord, as we're going to look over these two weeks, show us through our prayer life, Father. Show us through our ability to go. Show us, O oh Lord, through our finances, how we can prioritize what is, what is priority to you. May we set you first in everything, Lord. And may we see the nations coming to know you. Amen.